It's Mattress Firm's President's Day Sale. Right now, save up to $600 when you get a king bed at a queen price and a queen for a twin. Like a Serta Perfect Sleeper Queen mattress now just $499.99. Plus, take home a free adjustable base when you spend just $499. Don't wait. Visit mattressfirm.com or a store near you for our best deal of the year. Your budget stretches further at Mattress Firm. Offer valid with qualifying purchase. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com slash sale. Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Starting with some Major League Baseball today. Let's go to the scoreboard. Houston 5, Tampa Bay 4. That is 12 straight for the Astros. 12 straight for the Astros and roughly a billion straight for the Jungle Karma. Still undefeated. Don't think for a minute that I didn't see what was going down last night, clones. Don't think for a minute that I was not ready for some of you bottom-feeding eggs to come in, wreak havoc, and blame me for Houston's winning streak getting snapped if the Astros did not do what they always seem to do. Yes, I saw Tampa Bay jump all over Garrett Cole early on. Two in the first, two in the third. A four-run lead is the type of lead that generally holds up. We know that. A four-run lead generally is the kind of lead that will end a winning streak at 11. At least it does when the jungle karma is not involved. Now, you know me. I'm not the kind of guy who takes credit for what happened next. But to be very, very clear... It was the Astros who scraped together a couple in the fourth to cut that lead in half. It was Jose Altuve who crossed home plate in the sixth to make that a one-run game. I want to be very clear about that. That's not me. That's them. Manager A.J. Hinch was the guy who moved the pieces on the chessboard in the ninth. I simply had a conversation with him earlier in the day. And it was Tony Kemp who laid down that perfect sack bunt in the ninth. And then it was Alex Bregman who did the rest. Romo's 1-1. And Bregman hits it in the left center field. And that's going to get down for a base hit. Gonzalez scores. Stassi scores. Astros win it in the bottom of the ninth. That's 12 in a row. 5-4 the final. And Alex Bregman the hero. That is 12 in a row. And that's Astros Radio. Look, I'll let somebody else mention that I was the one who talked to A.J. Hinch about the fundamentals of baseball. Oh, can I say one thing? Jungle freaking karma. But I'll let somebody else point out that I was the one who had that conversation with A.J. Hinch about the fundamentals of baseball like, I don't know, four hours before the Astros put on a freaking clinic. But I don't want credit. I don't want you to look at me. I've got nothing to do with it. It's the jungle karma. I'll tell you what I will talk about. I'll talk about that absolute rocket ship that's at the very top of the AL West. The team with the title belt that just put a vapor trail between the Strohs and the Mariners. Remember this moment, M's fans, and you, Hawk. It might be the closest that you get all summer long. And just when it looked like the Yankees and the Red Sox were going to spend the rest of summer trading hands, giving each other the hands, and battling for the best record in the American League, the defending champs would like a minute. The defending champs have 49 wins. The defending champs are on pace to win 107. H-Town looks as scary as it ever has. So it's worth pointing out that most teams coming off a title are still somewhere in the middle of their victory lap right about now. Just look at the last couple of years. Boston went from world champs to losing 91. Frisco went from that even-year dynasty to 84 wins. Kansas City went from popping bottles to 500. And the Cubs spent half of last season hungover before finding a third gear and limping into the playoffs. You see, you don't see that complacency with A.J. Hinch's squad. All you see is a pitching staff stacked with aces, a pen that throws gas, and a lineup that's starting to look like the murderer's row that led the majors in OPS, runs, and total bases last year. So again, do not look for me to take credit for that one, that win. The karma did its own thing. The karma does its own thing. I can't control it. I've never been able to, but I know it exists. Just as I know, the Astros are playing better baseball than anybody in the bigs right now. And this American League pennant race is going to be absolute fire this summer. 
unless the Astros run away from the rest and hide. A distinct possibility when you consider the way they're playing right now and that they've got jungle karma coming out there. Just don't tell me it has nothing to do with it. I'm not going to take credit for it. Just don't tell me it has nothing to do with it when A.J. Hinge comes on in the morning and they win in walk-off fashion. Do not tell me it has nothing to do with it because you know it does. <laughs> Give them some credit. Right? Jungle Karma, still undefeated in the history of the world. We are joined by Howard Bryant. Howard, good morning. It is so nice to have you on the program. Howard, how are you? A long time, Jim. This is great. How you doing? Good, good, my man. I'm doing great. Nice to have you back. It has been a long time, and you and I have a lot to cover, so let me jump right into this. There's a lot to talk about right here, but why don't we start, Howard, with a definition. What is the heritage, and how would you describe it? Well, I think the heritage is just a term that guys kept using when I was talking about this return that players had back toward their social activism. You go back to the Paul Robesons and the Jackie Robinsons and Muhammad Ali's and Smith and Carlos and all of that. And every time I interviewed these guys, uh, people, you know, Dusty Baker, you talk to these players, they would go back and, and refer to this as this is our heritage, this is our inheritance. And I started to think that this, this movement sort of had a term, and, and that's the term that I, that I gave it. And what it really is to me is the risk that these players are taking, and it's a risk now that's even greater than it was before in a lot of ways, that now you've got players who are being asked, to, to stand up in a really divided time. And as we've seen, the price of that is very well <laughs> your career. Howard Bryan joining us. His book, The Heritage, Black Athletes, A Divided America, and The Politics of Patriotism is out right now. Now, Howard, you've written about the fact that America has had this idea that sports are fun, that they're just games. However, for black athletes, have sports ever really been just a game? No, they've never been just a game. And that's sort of the point. One of the things that we've seen the last five years talking about after Trayvon Martin and Ferguson and the rest of this is this whole stick-to-sports notion. Black athletes have never had that luxury. We talk about the, the black athlete. They're the ones who made it, Jim. They're the ones who... They, I make the argument in the book that the black athlete is the most important, most influential, most visible black employee this country has ever produced. They're the ones with the money. They're the ones who integrated the society. They, they integrated before... You know, sports were integrated before the military and before schools. So, and before Congress, and so in a lot of ways, this is the reason why you still ask these questions. How come Tiger Woods doesn't get involved in the community? How come Michael Jordan doesn't do more? And why are we looking at LeBron, and why are we looking at Colin Kaepernick and these guys to get involved? Because they're the ones that we look up to, yet they're also the ones who make the money in this country, and they're the only ones that we also say, be grateful and shut up and play. We don't say that to Mark Cuban or Oprah. Those guys get to be presidential candidates. Mm. Howard Bryant joining us. You know, Howard, you break down the story of the 20th century athlete into three acts. What are the first and second acts of that story? Well, the first act is the immigrant story. When you talk about how, how, did, how did the kids from the old world become American? A lot of them came, became American through sports. They had to learn English. They learned English through the box score, you know, through playing the game. That's how they assimilated the second is the integration story, where black people became part of the culture instead of being in you know, second class, in, in that second class role. But the third act is the one that we've been in in the last 40, 50 years, and that is the money story, the commodification story, where these players suddenly became super rich. You know, LeBron James's net worth is $450 million. We've got to deal with these guys now. So instead of looking at them as players, and you know, calling the owners Mr. and everything. The players now want partnership. You look at the dollar amounts that these guys produce, and they're, they're not subservient anymore. It's, you know, I think as sports fans, we also have to look at them and decide, are we going to keep treating them like they're, you know, like they're pieces of property, or are we going to look at them for the financial machines that they really are? We're talking to Howard Bryant. You know, Howard, when you talk about that third act, it's the money story. So one could argue that it started with O.J. Simpson and the notion of the colorless black athlete but how much did that go to a new level with Michael Jordan? thousand percent. And I think it was because, you know, you look at O.J., sure, he was the first black athlete who started to get the commercials, and he was the one who was integrating communities, and he was the guy who was getting the movie deals, and you started to see what was out there. But Michael and Nike took this thing to a whole different level, and that really, I mean, to me, that's the biggest threat. That's really what killed the heritage for the last 40 years, because Michael created an entirely new template, Be Like Mike, and you weren't supposed to get involved, and you followed Mike. What do we always say in the clubhouse, Jim? You know this. The smartest guy in the room 
is the guy with the biggest number of zeros on his paycheck. And Michael was the guy. Mike, if, if Michael didn't get involved in politics, you didn't get involved in politics. And he and Nike rose together, and we all saw the price, whether it was Craig Hodges or Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, when you got involved, no good. And, the, and, and of course, Tiger followed that. And the last guy that really decided to put race and politics in his, into his public personality after Ali is LeBron. So you're looking at a 40-year absence of, of politics and sports, which is why so many people have so much difficulty seeing LeBron and these guys act the way they're acting now. Hey now, if you work on a hot, dusty job site or in a loud, wet kitchen, you know how hard it can be to communicate clearly. And in order for things to get done, you have to communicate, right? But right now, with new Post-it Extreme Notes, you can get your message across and get the job done in literally any weather condition. I'm talking rain, heat, and humidity. Anything at all. New Post-it Extreme Notes are water-resistant. They're made with Durahold paper and adhesive, so they'll stick to anything. Concrete, drywall, raw wood, even brick. So no matter what the task on the job site is, you can get your message across with new Post-it Extreme Notes. Buy them today wherever you get your Post-it Notes. We're talking to Howard Bryant, so what about that? LeBron very certainly could have followed that Michael Jordan model because, as you point out, Howard, that was the model that many elite athletes have been following since Jordan. After all, LeBron was only six when Rodney King was beaten. He was just 16 on September 11th. So what kind of an impact did September 11th have on the Heritage? Well, September 11th is everything, and I think we spend so much time talking about these black players, and we talk about who's taking a knee and who's not, but we're not, we, we don't talk about the effect of 9-11 on sports the way that sports is packaged, the way it's sold, the way it's marketed. When you look at the flags and the flyovers and the police and the, and the militarization of sports, all of those things are combined into the way that we look at sports now. I mean, when I was a kid, we were afraid of the Cold War. It was the Olympics and the Cold War and whether the Russians were going or whether we were going. Today, it's all the military. And I think what people don't pay enough attention to is the fact that some of this, or actually a lot of it, is one big deception because you've got the military with the paid patriotism underneath it, that this stuff isn't organic, this is commercialism. And what does that do to protest? What does that do to players who actually have a, a dissenting opinion about what's happening in this country? You've got a president who comes out then and questions their citizenship. So this is, this, sports is, is the place in the country now where you've got serious, serious divisions. And we've seen what happens with the player. You get the president telling you that you don't belong here, and then you're out of a job. We're talking to Howard Bryan. He's got a brand new book out. So, Howard, one more thought about LeBron. I mean, he's been so successful on the court and financially, but as his career has continued, what do you make of his participation in the Heritage? Well, I think that he is a seminal figure. I think he's going to end up in the same line as Ali and the rest of them, but not necessarily because he was out in the street protesting, because we haven't seen him out in the street protesting. I think LeBron is moving this heritage into a new space, and that is the boardroom. When you listen to him talk, he co-ops the language. He doesn't call Dan Gilbert Mr. Gilbert. He calls him Dan. When he talks about basketball, he says it's our game. He doesn't say it's their game or the sport or consider himself an employee. He talks about this in terms of partnership, and that's where this thing is going, especially in the NBA. I talked to Carmelo Anthony about this, and he was talking about the Donald Sterling affair, and he said that he really believes the players should have boycotted just to send the message to ownership that, hey, we still make this game. We are the game. And so there are, there, I think through LeBron, he gives, a, he gives players a lot of cover to, to take more chances, and whether we're talking about LeBron and Donald Sterling and the players, or whether we're talking about the University of Missouri, players are starting to exert more and more power. And as we've seen, these guys can shut down any game they want if they stick together. So, Howard, what about Colin Kaepernick? Where does Colin Kaepernick fit in the heritage? Well, Kaepernick is going to be one of those guys who did risk. And I, I think one of the questions that I ask, as fashionable as it is to sell patriotism, it's also really fashionable for protest. And I start asking this question in the book. Do you really get to join the heritage simply by putting on a T-shirt? You know, do you, is that enough to join the Muhammad Ali's and the Paul Robesons of the world? The answer to me is no. But Colin Kaepernick put something on the line. He risked his standing, he risked his career, he risked everything for something that he believes in. And there may be a lot of people that don't care about it, but the big problem that I have with the NFL and a lot of the way this is covered is that there are millions of people who have a lot of respect for him. His star is rising as time goes on. So, Howard, is there a moment in an athlete's life where he or she chooses to uphold the heritage or not uphold the heritage? Absolutely, and that's when your money's threatened. And that's when you decide, okay, I think that 
I honestly believe, Jim, and you know, you've talked about this for years as well, but I honestly believe that, that Colin and his team did not believe the hammer was going to come down as heavy as it did. A lot of people that I've spoken to over the years, especially black people, have said, well, what, what else did they think was going to happen? And so I think when you decide, when you make that decision, whether you're Kurt Flood or Colin Kaepernick, if you go here, it's over for you. Your career is over. That's when you decide to make that leap to go forward and to join this thing, or whether or not you say, you know what, it's too much to ask. I'm going to try to find my activism in a, in a different way, but I'm not willing to risk everything. The one thing about this is, is that as romantic as we say, the Heritage is not a club you want to join because of the price you pay. Mm. Howard Bryant's the author of the book. is called The Heritage. It's out right now. Howard, I know you're in Los Angeles. I know you did your very best to make it here in studio, and it's great to have you on the show. I know you got a lot going on. Listen, where are you tonight? Where are you going to be this evening? I'm at the L.A. Public Library tonight with a charter member of the Heritage, and I can't wait to meet him with Dr. John Carlos. He and I are going to sit and talk about this also with, uh, with Dr. Todd Boyd. 7.30 tonight at the L.A. Public Library. I cannot wait. I'm, I'm supposed to be on stage, but I'm also going to be a little kid talking to John Carlos. J.J. Hickson was arrested this past Friday for a home invasion in Coweta, Coweta County, Georgia. The details of the story are still sketchy, but what little we know is enough to already know that this is one of the more bizarre stories ever. Here is the local news report from WSB-TV in the ATL. Authorities say ex-NBA player James J.J. Hickson not only broke into a home, he attacked a 17-year-old with a knife. Coweta County Sheriff's deputies say he was after $100,000 in cash that was in the home on Row Road. Mary Taylor says she called 911 at around 10.30 in the morning when she saw the teenage victim stumble out of the house with a broken nose. Hickson's listed address is about 60 miles away in Smyrna. Neighbors saw the getaway car with Cobb County tags parked here at about 5 o'clock Friday morning. Neighbors say the teen lived there with his mother but was home alone during the robbery. All right, so where do I even start with this? This dude's out there, allegedly, casing homes, busting faces, wielding knives, and lifting 100 gur from a teenager. I mean, first off, what kind of a crib out in rural Georgia has got 100 grand just lying around? And how does J.J. Hickson know about that 100 grand? And what's a dude who reportedly made 26 mil in his NBA career doing busting into a house allegedly with a blade for a quick cash grab? Now, I will say this. If a six foot nine guy rolls up on you with a blade and you're able to walk away with only a busted beak, consider yourself a very lucky 17-year-old. Hickson, on the other hand, not so much. Cops caught up with him soon thereafter, and they're still holding him in the slammer without bond. Now, going back to my original question, this might not be the first time that you've ever heard the name J.J. Hickson. Dude did not exactly have the most memorable eight years in the association, but he did have eight years in the association. But if you have been around these parts for a little while, you know that name. You know J.J. Hickson is synonymous with the greatest Jim Rome is burning correspondence piece ever. Because back in 2009, J.J. Hickson had an all-time cameo and a setup for an all-time line from an all-time legend. I'm talking, of course, about Delonte West. This was back in the Cleveland days when Delonte had our J.R.I.B. camera crew roll right through and my dude gave us some amazing access and even more incredible sound bites that will live on forever. You got to love this right here, Jim. I got fried chicken, sprinkles of hot sauce on it, Tahiti tree fruit punch. You know what I'm saying? Just finished getting cut up by the barber. Going right to the photo shoot. How play is that, man? How player is that? I watched that whole thing in its entirety last night. I can't play it right here. You need to find this. Just go online. It's easy to find. The Delonte West Jim Rome correspondent piece. It is gold. I mean, not only does it hold up, it's one of my favorite things of my entire career. And I had nothing to do with it other than to send the camera crew out. And Delonte gave us amazing access and some of the most iconic drops ever. Of all the iconic drops from that correspondent piece, nothing, though, came close to Delonte West rolling up on the aforementioned J.J. Hickson in the hallway and putting dude on blast for not fulfilling his rookie duty of bringing in three boxes of warm, 
Krispy Kreme donuts. This one of the main corpus right here, JJ Hickson, but got the donuts today. Broke back JJ. Broke back JJ. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a broken back. Oh, yeah, look. Jim, his excuse was he had an MRI today, so he couldn't stop past the Krispy Kremes. I couldn't. Who was Jim? Who was, who was Jim? Hold on, hold on, buddy. We got, you got to cut that part out right there. Who was Jim? Jim Rome. Rome is burning. Yeah. What's up, Flat? <laughs> but for real though, don't let that I, happen I'm, again. I'm gonna go next time for real. Listen, I'm gonna get him on the road. Listen, in a world of hazing, that's not too hard to ask. Just to stop past the Krispy Kremes and get Krispy some warm up. Krispy Kreme got two hours. I gotta drive all the way to Cincinnati. I don't care if you gotta fly, train, planes, and automobiles. You better have my donuts. So amazing. You're going back to why they called him broke back. He had a bad back. That's why he didn't get the donuts. He had to get an MRI. He had a broken back or a bad back or he wanted to find out what was wrong with his back, which is why he had to get the MRI, which is why he didn't get there with the donuts and the donuts have to be warm. And when he made the point like, Delonte, I got to drive all the way to Cincinnati to get your donuts. Delonte's point was like, I don't care if you have to fly. Trains, planes, automobiles. Better have my donuts. Train, planes, and automobiles. You better have my donuts. Uh, it, it is so amazing and so brilliant and so funny and so iconic. And Delonte just right off the cuff was doing this the entire thing. I mean, that line in and of itself is so iconic. It's so iconic that a listener in San Diego named John Segman recently got a donut tattooed on his back with sprinkles that spelled out Rome. And a text that read, better have my jungle. This guy got ink 10 years after the fact about that. Freaking Delonte. Nine years later, and it still lives on, is one of the best drops in our sound bank. And that line never gets spit if J.J. Hickson does not forget to bring in the donuts. So J.J. may go down as an armed burglar who rearranged a 17-year-old's mug and got caught for trying to lift 100 grand from a private residence, allegedly. And that would be a fair way to be remembered if you did something that stupid and that violent. However, around here, he will be forever known as that, if he did that, but essentially as the guy that set up Delonte West to drop a legendary line that will be remembered long after he springs the slammer. Trains, planes, automobiles. Better have my 100K. You better have my donuts. You have to watch this thing in its entirety. It is amazing. Get to see Van Smack with his tight lettuce. You see the way that thing was shot. The lighting on JRIB. I love this one part too where LeBron is stretching out, and the font is like five-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA player, LeBron James. And even LeBron shouted out to me. Jim Rome, Jim Rome is burning. I love Delonte also addressing the camera with, hey, Jim, hey, Jim. And Hickson's like, who's Jim? Who's Jim? Ah, you got to cut that out. Who's Jim? Jim Rome, ah, Jim Rome's burning. What's up, player? Who's Jim? Who is Jim? Hold on, hold on, buddy. You got to cut that part out right there. Who is Jim? Jim Rome. Rome is burning. Yeah. What's up, Flip? <laughs> what's up, criminal? What's home? What's up, home invader? Allegedly. JJ Hickson. When I saw that name pop yesterday, I'm like, oh no. JJ Hickson. There's a blast from the past. I don't know. I hate to see that happen to anybody at all. I hate to see that happen to him. I hate to see that happen to the kid whose face he rearranged, allegedly. But better JJ than my man Delonte, right? I love Delonte. Delonte's had an issue or two, but I love the guy. But he's dealing with some things. He's dealing with some issues. A lot of people are dealing with a lot of issues. JJ Hickson, allegedly, is dealing with issues. Probably financial ones. If he's casing homes and breaking into them. And then breaking faces. Allegedly. Of course, there are many of you who remember Delonte for other things. Including this. Rome. Please play the hot sauce in my bag rap. 
Put hot sauce in my bag. 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 All right, so that was Delonte in a drive-thru. It may have been Taco Bell. I can't remember who he was riding with, but he dropped that rap. He dropped that song. Put hot sauce Put in my hot bag. Hot sauce in my bag. Uh. Hot sauce in my bag. bag. Hot sauce in my bag. Hot sauce in my bag. bag. In my bag. Uh. Needless to say, Delonte was a huge jungle figure back in the day. Today's episode brought to you by Fan Exchange. Are you thinking about buying tickets to your favorite sports, concert, or theater event? Maybe you want to experience a basketball game courtside rather than on your couch. You want to catch a foul ball? That's not happening in your living room. Head on over to FanExchange.com for a safe, easy, and reliable experience. Tickets purchased on Fan Exchange are always guaranteed, so there's no getting to the gate and having to worry about getting in. So whether it's MLB, wrestling, or even a Broadway musical, Fan Exchange gets you closer to all the action. Find the very best seats at the best prices at FanExchange.com and use the promo code Rome. Promo code Rome and get 50% off the service fees on your next purchase. Fan Exchange, we have tickets. John Rothstein, John, great to have you on. How are you? Never better, Jim. Great to be with you as always. You too, John. Thanks so much. Let me start at the very top. DeAndre Ayton is a very interesting guy, a fascinating player. When you look, John, at what he did as a freshman at Arizona, is there any doubt in your mind that he's going to be the first pick in the draft? No, no doubt in my mind, Jim. And I think one of the things you need to look at is when you evaluate what DeAndre Ayton did as a freshman at the University of Arizona, he also did so without having a traditional college power forward next to him. Dusan Ristich played next to DeAndre Ayton up front. Both were seven-footers. You know this as well as anybody. When you play with another seven-footer, you're not going to have the same space. You're not going to have the same isolation. It makes Ayton's numbers 2012 and two as a college freshman, that much more impressive. John Rostin joining us. All right, John, when you have a big man who can do what he can do, the comparisons are going to be flying around. I've seen his name mentioned with Hakeem Olajuwon and Kevin Garnett, but you've compared him to David Robinson. What do you see in him that makes you say that? Well, you know, Jim, I had the opportunity to spend some time in the preseason in Tucson and spend some time around Arizona's program. And I think when you look at DeAndre Ayton's body from a physical perspective, it looks like it was carved out of ice, just like David Robinson's was when it was coming into the league. The difference, though, is you look right now at his ability to step outside and face up, and it is far advanced to what we saw David Robinson did early in his college career and this is something that I think really gets you know taken for granted when people are evaluating players and they're trying to forecast them for the next level DeAndre Ayton as I brought up had 20 12 and two block shots as a college freshman at the University of Arizona in 83 84 David Robinson as a freshman okay at the Naval Academy averaged seven six and four rebounds He obviously put up monster numbers as he progressed in the Naval Academy. But with all due respect, David Robinson finished his career playing in the CAA. DeAndre Ayton in one year was in the Pac-12. John Rothstein joining us. All right, John, so when you look at the top draft prospects coming out of college, there are so many big men this time around. Ayton, Marvin Bagley III, Mo Bamba, the list goes on. But at the same time, John, we know big men do not have the same NBA value that they had 10 or 15 years ago. So what do you think teams are thinking when they look at these particular players? Can you step outside and face the basket? And that is why I think you are seeing so much intrigue at the top of the draft when you're comparing Marvin Bagley III from Duke and Jaron Jackson Jr. from Michigan State. Now, why is Jaron Jackson such an intriguing prospect and potentially somebody who could come off the board to the Hawks at the three spot? You look, he's got great size at 6'11", but also, Jimmy shot 40 from three. And this is the separation factor why a lot of people like Jackson may be long-term versus Marvin Bagley III. Jaron Jackson Jr. only played 764 minutes last year as a freshman at Michigan State. He had 106 block shots. Marvin Bagley played 1,118 minutes for Duke last year. He had 29 block shots. Rim protection is the big difference when you evaluate Jackson versus Bagley. But Bagley, an all-time producer, Jim, 
21 and 11 as a college freshman, 61% from the field, 40 from three as well. But the issue, he might have signed a no-compete clause on the defensive end of the floor. Mm, John Rostein joining us. All right, John, going into last season, Michael Porter Jr. was talked about as a potential first pick in the draft. Then he had that back issue. He played a total of 53 minutes during the season. At this time last year, what kind of a player was he? A player that a lot of people thought could be right up there with DeAndre Ayton at the top of the list in terms of being the number one overall pick in the 2018 NBA draft. And I sat and I watched Michael Porter Jr. a couple of years ago at the Elite 24 event put on by Under Armour in Brooklyn, and that was the chatter around Michael Porter Jr. The issue is this. We don't have a sample size of Michael Porter Jr. in real game competition other than what we saw when Kansas played Missouri in an exhibition game in Kansas City last October. In that game, Porter, before he went out with an injury, locked 23 minutes and had 21 points and eight rebounds. So this much I can tell you. Talking to well-embedded moles that were at one of his workouts a couple of weeks ago in Chicago, he can still shoot the basketball at a high level. And, Jim, talking to NBA coaches as well, the new in-position in the NBA is the combo forward position because so much of the league is being positionless right now and being multidimensional. And that is why there is no player in the 2018 NBA draft that is a greater risk with a potential to have a greater reward than Michael Porter Jr. John Rothstein is our guest. John, what about Trey Young? Really polarizing guy right now. He absolutely lit up college basketball. There have been comparisons to Steph Curry. What kind of an impact do you think he'll make on the next level? You are looking at somebody right now who is elite on one end of the floor. Led the nation in scoring and assists. Nine games last season with five or more three-point shots. But he's pedestrian on the other side of the floor. An NBA head coach once told me, you are who you can guard. If Trey Young is somebody who's going to be a lead card, he's going to have to guard Chris Paul, Damian Lillard, Russell Westbrook, these guys in the NBA. But here's something I want to point out. Trey Young is a much more gifted passer than people are giving him credit for. He led the nation in assists. And also, Oklahoma's downfall towards the second half of the season cannot be put entirely on Trey Young's shoulders. Now, why is that? The supporting cast for Oklahoma had a massive dip towards the second half of the season. And if you're going to be a lethal point guard and a facilitator in screen and roll action, you need a dominant pick in pop four. Brady Manick, the starting four man last year for Oklahoma, made 59 threes on the season. He made 48, Jim, before February 1st. Hmm. That is a big reason why Oklahoma had a downward spiral starting on February 1st. John Rothstein getting ready for the NBA draft on Thursday in Brooklyn. John, last thought, what about Villanova? I mean, potentially, they could have four players selected in the draft. Knowing the success that Jay Wright's had, it's incredible that he's only had three first-round picks in his entire time at Villanova. So if they have a big night on Thursday, how significant a moment is that for Jay Wright and that program? You are looking at another program-changing night for Villanova, and I wrote a column about this last week. The NBA draft is usually a time where programs like Kentucky and Duke get the limelight. That can change on Thursday night if Villanova has four players taken in the first round of the NBA draft. A lot of people think that obviously Villanova is a program that was on the outside looking in in terms of the Blue Bloods. That stopped at the Final Four in April when they won their second national title in three years. The program can take another step Thursday night at the Barclays Center if four players, Mikhail Bridges, Dante DiVincenzo, Omari Spellman, and, of course, Jalen Brunson are taken in the first round. So one quick follow. What about DiVincenzo? He had that monster performance with 31 in the title game. You have compared him to Bob Sura and Delonte West. What makes you see that in him? Well, you're looking at somebody, again, who plays with a Delonte West level edge. And you're also looking at somebody who, like Bob Sura, is going to, be, going to have to be comfortable playing a guard's position on both sides of the backcourt in the NBA. But, you know, to obviously be an effective professional and to be an effective player in college, you know this as well as anybody, confidence is the greatest 
performance-enhancing drug. There is no player in the 2018 NBA draft that has more confidence in his own abilities than Dante DiVincenzo. The Washington Capitals are your Stanley Cup champions. Yeah, I said it. The Caps are the Cup champs. And if that's hard to imagine, let me throw you in the Wayback Machine. Take you all the way back to June 8th, 11 days ago, when the Caps ran down Vegas in the third period to shake off that 800-pound gorilla from their back. They drank the first of probably 19 million beers from the top of Lord Stanley. The first cup win in 43 seasons. And while I may have been in the basement, don't think that I didn't see the Caps celebrate the hell out of that one. There was Ovi on social. There was Ovi at the Nats game. There was Ovi in the fountain. There was Ovi doing cup stands. There was Ovi at the parade. There was Ovi at every single bar in Georgetown. And just when you thought the big question of the entire offseason was going to be, is Ovi sober yet? The new question instead in the district is, who's going to coach the Caps? Because Barry Trotz isn't. Barry Trotz is out. And Barry Trotz is out because the Caps do not want to pay the man like a guy who's won a truckload of games and brought a Stanley Cup to the district for the first time ever. Nobody needs to tell Caps fans that life moves pretty fast. One week you've got Ovi and the fellas running a parade through the district, and the next thing you know, your head coach is turning in his key card because management cannot figure out a fair deal. And I'd say that I understand the predicament the Caps GM Brian McClellan found himself in, but the only guy he's got to blame is himself or ownership or both because they put themselves in this position. Remember, Trotz coached the entire season without a contract. And while he didn't let that affect him, you know that pissed him off. It had to. It would any of us. So Trotz essentially bets on himself this postseason, something management was not willing to do. And now he wants to be paid like the guy who chased down Columbus, turned the lights off on the double champs in Pittsburgh, went into Tampa Bay and beat them in a game seven, and then hit Vegas with a cooler that no team out West could deliver. In short, he wants to be paid like one of the best in the game, a top four or five coach. And I don't blame him at all, because that's exactly what Trotz is, a top four or five coach. He wants top dollar, and he wants max years, and the Caps obviously are not willing to give it to him. But they were more than willing to honor that contractually obligated escalator clause, which had a two-year extension that did not pay him very much more than he was already being paid. So, of course, the guy's going to bounce. The fact that they even let him get to his walk year without a new deal tells you they did not believe in him. And the fact that he or that they won't give him that fifth year that he wants means that they don't believe that he's a top tier coach or they don't want to pay the going rate. Either way, it's absurd. How do you not come to terms? How do you not come to terms with a guy who just won you a Stanley Cup? Your first Stanley Cup. Maybe your last Stanley Cup. How the hell do you let that guy walk? In over what? A fifth year? More money? I mean, it would have never even come to this or cost this much had you done right by the guy in the first place. And even despite all that, you have a chance to make it right and yet you make the same mistake all over again. So if you're going to do that, You better be damn sure of what you're doing before you let that guy walk out your door before the champagne is even dry. You better be really confident in your replacement options when you watch a guy push all the right buttons, bring the very best out of Ovi, get world-class hockey out of Evgeny Kuznetsov, and take Brayden Holpe off the bench and turn him into a brick wall. He did all those things. You better be damn sure what you have as a replacement before you give that guy a ring and his walking papers. Because as big of a risk as Trotz is taking by hitting the open market right now where there's only one open job, he's going to be just fine. It's the caps I'm not sure of. I know this. You don't say, thanks for the cup. Now don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. Not after a season like that. And if that move 
does not sober Caps fans up quickly. I'm not sure what will. I love when you talk hockey. We are joined by Scooter Jeanette. Scooter, it's so good to have you on the program. How are you? Doing great. That was quite the intro, Jim. Thank you. Scooter, I got to say, you put up some numbers in the past year or so. In fact, we're about a year removed from that epic game where you became the first player in MLB history with five hits, four home runs, and 10 RBI in a single game. I know you're looking ahead, but can you take us back one last time? What do you remember about that game and then all the attention that came with it, Scooter? Oh, man. Um, What a day at the park. Uh, I think it was just one of those days where – you know, everything was everything fell in place. Uh, I mean, it's hard enough to hit a homer, you know, one homer, let alone four in a row. Um, I think it was just uh, one of those deals where, for some reason, it was supposed to happen. It was supposed to happen to me, a guy that's probably half the size of everybody on the field. Um, and I don't know, maybe just to, you know, you think God was just kind of showing himself through me and, and just, you know, being removed now for, for a little over a year, that's the only way for me to really make sense of it, you know, for a guy like me to do that. Um, but you know, just what a day at the park. <laughs> An amazing day at the park, Scooter. You know, since that game, as I mentioned, you've been hitting well over 300, more than 30 home runs, more than 110 runs batted in. It seems like a lot of times when guys have a huge game like that, it can actually mess with their heads, maybe get them to change their swing, either consciously or unconsciously. But you seem to have avoided all of that, and instead you've taken your game to another level. Did that game feel like a turning point, or maybe was something happening before that game? Oh, uh, you know, I, I guess it did. I guess it did feel like a turning point. Um, and I think the biggest reason why I didn't, uh, it didn't affect me in a negative way, um, and I think where you're getting at is kind of like guys after they, like if they win the home run derby and, you know, there's certain things that maybe you might do different uh, mechanically or approach-wise that, that might affect your, your game over the long term. And I think the reason it didn't is because that game I was I was really trying to, like, take things back a little bit in a sense, like not try to do too much, really relax, let the game come to me, uh, kind of like a nice and smooth type of approach. And and it worked out, obviously, and I just have kept doing that since. But I think if it was the opposite, if it was like, oh, I'm going to try to crush the ball today and then I hit four home runs, I think that's where it could have been a bad, um, you know, a bad thing long term. I think that's really interesting, actually. Scooter Jeanette joining us. I think that makes a lot of sense. Now, the team presented you with a scooter for that performance, and then you submitted it to be auctioned off for the Reds Community Fund sweepstakes. There's a little bit of a legend that has developed surrounding that scooter and a ride that you took on it before you gave it away. What happened on the ride? (laughs) Oh, man. Um, I took it back uh, in the backyard behind behind our house where Renton in, in Kentucky last year. And uh, there was this park, it, it had a big hill that went down Grass Hill, and then it kind of flattened out and had like a basketball court and um, some more grass area in the back. So I'm like, it'd be cool to take it down there kind of on the, on the basketball court and be able to have a nice flat area to ride. So uh, I figured I'd take it downhill, and, and I made the mistake before I reached the bottom and flattened out completely. I... I turned right at the last second and the scooter went to the right hard and I went to the left hard, uh, threw me off completely, landed on my left side. Um, I kind of got up and I was like, kind of move my arm around in a circle, make sure everything was intact. And, uh, and it was, um, it, it didn't feel good though. The next day I was pretty sore. Um, I actually played pretty decent the next day. Now that I now that I'm thinking back, I think I might hit a homer. Um, but the scooter had like grass, had sod stuck in it, uh, grass stains all over it. So you could definitely tell if you look um, if you look pretty good. You could tell that it, it definitely had been used uh, by me, a non-experienced scooter rider. <laughs> scooter, it's so it's so good that thing turned out the way it did. Because if you'd gotten hurt doing that, I don't need to tell you how that might have gone. I, I tell the story, Scooter. One night I was coming down the same staircase I'd walked down every morning for 10 years, and I missed the last step and landed on my shoulder and thought that I separated it. Man, I had made up a story before I even hit the ground for how that went down, because there would have been no way for me to describe that. But I'm rocking this amazing bobblehead that you have on the scooter on our TV show right now. As a result of the season you're having, you're getting a lot of run for the All-Star game. What would it mean for you to play in an All-Star game? Oh, what an honor that would be. That would be uh, 
So it'd be amazing. Um, you know, I, uh, past few years I've had, I've had a couple good years. Last year was a, was a solid year. And in 2014, I had some pretty good numbers and, and those are the only times where they sit you down and, um, they sit the whole team down before the all-star game and they, they, uh, they, have a nice team meeting and and say like hey we we got a couple guys that made the team and those were the only two years that I've I felt like maybe there's a chance and that they could call my name and it was a little disappointing um when they didn't but this year it's like you know I'm kind of more expecting it uh obviously just with the with the numbers and everything that I that I have this year but um but man it would be it would be really exciting to go it would be a it would definitely be an honor and and um no, I just got to keep going and, and keep hitting and, and playing hard, and uh, I think that'll take care of itself, hopefully. Hey, Scooter, if not this year, then when? I mean, you're trying to do something that hasn't been done literally since 1886. You're trying to become the first red second baseman to lead the team in hits, runs, and home runs since Bid McPhee did it back in 86. Not 1986, 1886. I know that running down Bid is not your focus and that you're more focused on the team, but what's it like when you hear that you have the possibility of doing something that has not been done since 1886? Man, that's that's pretty nuts. Um, there's been a lot of baseball played uh, <laughs> from from that time to now. Um, yeah, that that's that stuff. That's it's it's great. It's great to hear, uh, you know, all those things. Like, man, no one's done that since whoever. Um, but really, the I mean, man, the most important thing is bringing a bringing a championship back to Cincinnati. The fans they they deserve another another championship. Um, I remember growing up and, and watching the team, watching uh, Larkin and, and all those guys that played on championship teams, and, and just the the atmosphere at those games is is I mean unlike anywhere else. Uh, and it's just it kind of sucks now going into the ballpark and, and not playing, not not winning um, more than we're losing, and you know, and then the fans. I mean, they're 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 true baseball fans. I mean, they want to come watch a watch a competitive team, and and we haven't been able to uh, to give them that yet this year, and and that's the that's the biggest thing. I mean, if we're winning ball games and we're playing good baseball, I mean, I don't think that I would be leading in all those categories. You know, I might just be leading in one. So you know, that tells me that um, you know there's some guys that are that are maybe had a, a tough start to the season that are going to turn things around and you know, end up catching fire like, like I had in May, you know, so um, it's great and all, but I'd, I'd much rather have a few more guys take over those, <laughs> take over those team leading stats there, because that means that, that, uh, you know, we're doing, we're doing what we're supposed to as a team. Scooter Jeanette joining us for another moment or so. I got to ask you about a play earlier. Anthony Rizzo and the Cubs tried to get you on the old hidden ball trick earlier. It was unsuccessful. Can you take mm-hmm. me through it? And is there any part of you that's thinking, "Come on, man, really? Did you think that I'd be the guy to fall for that?" Yeah, that's exactly what I actually told him. Like <laughs> after I after I saw the ball in his glove, I'm like, "Really? Like why you gotta do that to me? Like what?" Because <laughs> the first baseman, I mean, it wasn't like a situation. It's just a whenever that hidden ball trick is done, it's not like a. Usually it's not in like a crucial, crucial spot in the game. It's kind of like just in a spot where maybe people aren't paying attention too much mid game. Um, you know, nobody like on, no, it's not like the bases were loaded. I just hit a single, um, you know, and, it, and it's just like, come on, Anthony, like, really? Like, why, why are you trying to <laughs> embarrass me? Cause if I get, you know, if he, if he pulls that off and he gets me, and I mean, I look like an idiot, you know, and, and it's on the not top 10 and, and you know I look like I look like an idiot not paying attention. So um, even though he didn't get me, um, you know it's still kind of messed up. And, and I'm gonna we're gonna talk and laugh about it again. I mean he's a great dude. He he plays the game. He plays the game well. You know he plays hard. Um, but at times we get we get a little bored out there. So we need to we need to spice things up a little bit. I just want him to not not do it to me next time. And uh, you know we'll be good. Scooter, what did he say when you said, come on, man, really, really? What was his response? He, he just laughed, and, and I was waiting, actually, for him to, like, actually hit him on the arm, and I, I hit him on the arm right when he was throwing the ball, so maybe he would, like, throw it away, and I could go to second, try to get back at him, but he ended up making a good throw. Beeks, what's up? How are you? 
Jim, Snaggle Chops. Welcome back, Chief. I'm on vacation myself, buddy. Hey, first off, my pops and I watched the replay last night. Dude, you almost fell off the chair during Rick and Buffalo's call, man. That was classic. Our advice was to quote Rick, finish the job because that'd be TV gold, man. And anyway, man, assuming you, you get in the Hall of Fame, which is absurd because you should already be there, I got to tell you, man, Clone Nation locked up, evolved, transformed into a fat Voltron gangster in terms of voting you in, brother. So uh, I hope you're a proud papa. Uh, you know, I, I was drinking beer, being 50 pounds overweight in the jacuzzi this weekend like the JTP expected me, and I kept hearing Hall of Fame sound bites for you but that, that just wasn't good enough for me so i called into three other cbs shows and dropped hall of fame plugs there too because you've been entertaining me since the summer 95 in the Turk county brother i know jive ass turkeys like just pass and think the clones are stupid but we sure as hell ain't lazy lastly war the jtp war wood scopes war hawks spewing straight fire about the seattle sea chickens fan base on the Joso show and unwar that dirty smurf turkey jeff and richmond regurgitating monday night rock quotes from the 90s i'm out go ahead and rack him beaks in studio city and i'm trying to give away a golden ticket mona in knoxville says she would like to take a run at a golden ticket you know i love the lady clones let's find out we go to knoxville tennessee mona Mona, you're talking hey. to Jim Rome. Hi, how are you? Hi there. I come correct from Knoxville, Tennessee, as one of your lady clones. I've survived breast cancer, brain cancer, domestic violence, and a gunshot wound. And I have all my teeth, and I don't smoke, I don't drink. And as an ER nurse, I do more by 7 a.m. than most of y'all clones do all year. So if I don't qualify for a golden ticket, no worries. I'm a helicopter pilot. I can fly right out of there. But... If I had, I just had to try. And to quote the late, great Pat Summit friend of mine, if you don't want the responsibility, don't try to sit in the big chair. So as for Bradley in Corona, Mikey in Indy, and Vicky in NorCal, I'm coming for y'all, and y'all have not got anything on me. And I'm out. War the Lady Clones, Mona! War Lady Clones. Mona, you got yourself a golden I ticket. I got a golden ticket. Mona in Knoxville. Good night now! How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, Grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive. Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.